This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hello and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marianne Matzo, a nurse practitioner, and I use my experience from working as a nurse for 44 years to help answer your questions about what happens at the end of life. And I'm Charlie Navarrete, an actor in New York City. You know, the expression forewarned is forearmed is a proverb that explains the importance and tactical advantage one gains when having prior knowledge of an event. An event such as someone is near death or suddenly checks out, nothing was prepared, and now you're stuck with the bill. So please relax, get yourself something splendid to snack and sip on, put your feet up, put on something comfortable and soft, and thank you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me as we talk about the death positive movement. In the first half, Charlie talks about last suppers and has our recipe of the week. In the second half, I'll be talking about how the death positive movement came about and what it really is. And in our third half, Charlie talks about Chatsy Weisberger's death from pancreatic cancer. So Charlie, what's all this fuss about Last Suppers? Is this the painting or food? Well, it's really Last Meals, not the Last Supper. You know, they, you know, they they got they had, you know, their supper catered or something. Uh, but no, this is about last meals. Specifically, oh. Mythical Kitchens has a last meal series on YouTube. You know, and as they say, everyone eats and everyone dies. Hmm. Catchy, ah, catchy title. True. Mm-hmm. So, what would you want as your last supper, Marianne? Oh, um, I, I would like, uh, Whole buddy buddy's pizza Ooh. from Detroit, mm. all to myself, uh-huh. and a really cold glass of beer yeah. and an antipasto salad, and Saunders bumpy chocolate cake, mm. where I could eat I remember that bumpy just cake. the yeah. bumpy and the fudge part, and not have to eat the cake. And I want it all to myself. <laughs> <sighs> I think yeah. for myself, I would like to sip one of Martha Stewart's martinis with Martha Stewart. And 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 if Miss Stewart is not available, paella, garlicky paella with a pitcher of red sangria. Hmm. That would be good. It would be good. And you know, we yeah. we asked our social media followers for their last supper requests. Angie wanted chocolate in all its forms. Elaine wants fried oh, chicken. I like Angie. Yes, there's nothing wrong with <laughs> chocolate in all its forms. Elaine wants fried chicken, mac and cheese, and collard greens. Patrick wants a Blake's Lotta Burger double green chili cheeseburger, fries, and chocolate shake. Lynn wants good. a dry vodka martini. There you go, woman after my heart. French bread, escargot. Filet mignon with horseradish cream, spinach souffle, baked potato with butter, sour cream, and chives, a real Caesar salad, which means with anchovies, because it seems to me personally, if I may put my own personal commentary in here, where's where's the anchovies anymore in Caesar salad? It's like it just people throw chunks of it on top of it, but I just remember in the past, 
it was ground and mixed in with the dressing. And uh, I just don't see that anymore. Well, how do you know it's not mixed in with the dressing? Because it's be- mixed in with the dressing. Because she it could n- be there. Nope, not at all. Because she says a real Caesar salad with anchovies. So, oh, but you know what? To your point, I'm assuming she means anchovies mixed in with the dressing itself and not just anchovies thrown on top doing a floor show. <laughs> you can imagine. Like the, like the, like the June Taylor I, dancers oh God, as going, anchovies? I was just going to say the June Taylor dancers. That is so bizarre. But yes, imagine the June or 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 the Rockettes. Yes, we are very we are a very bizarre pair, Charles. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and along with the June Taylor dancer anchovies, an amazing red wine, and for dessert, a VSOP cognac with coffee and Italian lemon cookies. Yummy. Lynn adds that these are all foods that I can no longer eat due to side effects of NSAIDs and opioids from living with chronic pain for over 40 years due to arthritis and fibromyalgia. Oh, Lynn. Yeah. I feel for you, sister. Talina offers a true perspective, a reminder to eat and enjoy the foods that bring you joy and skip the side of guilt. She wrote, personally, I would want steak, fried potatoes with onions, and corn, but... Having been with mom and my sister, both when they passed away, mom from pulmonary fibrosis and my sister, Tammy, from emphysema, I know that neither of them got a last meal that they could eat. Mom had soup. Tammy did manage a couple of very small bites of a cheeseburger and a few sips of a smoothie. When one can't breathe, you know, one can't eat well, especially something they need to chew. Please go to our show notes for a list of all the Last Supper requests we received. Now, when Last Meals had Tom Hanks on, he chose Tom Cruise cake, which is a real thing, as his dessert pick. Now, Tom Cruise doesn't bake, but apparently he sends his friends a white chocolate coconut bundt cake from Doan's Bakery, a family-owned and operated business with a single location in Woodland Hills, California. They start with a ring of moist, luxurious coconut bundt cake, mix in chunks of sweet white chocolate, layer on rich cream cheese frosting, and then dust it all over with toasted coconut flakes. That sounds good. That's hunger. The result is a delicious pillowy cake good enough to derail the strictest Hollywood <laughs> diets. You can really impress your friends at your next funeral lunch by bringing a knockoff version of this cake. Or... Become friends with Tom Cruise, and he may send one to you. So, please go to our webpage. I'm going to friend Tom Cruise. Yes, many people would like that. Maverick would like that. Yeah. Yes. Please go to our webpage for the recipe and additional resources for this program. We have a small favor to ask. Thousands of you have placed your trust in Everyone Dies as a source of trusted information about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. We are asking you for your support in the form of a tax-deductible contribution so that we can continue to offer you quality programming. Thank you in advance for going to our website to make your donation, as well as following us on Facebook and Instagram. Visit us at www.everyonedies.org. That's every, 
TheNumberOneDies.org. Marianne? Thanks, Charlie. You know, birth and death are two sides of the coin of life. We get the life coin when we're born, an event none of us has any real consciousness of, and return the coin when we die. It's possible that after death is like before birth, and that we don't have awareness of what's going on. It's possible that religious beliefs that give us comfort throughout life follow to the afterlife in the forms of reward or punishment. These religious or theoretical discussions are there to be had if we want or need to have them. And everyone dies, though. We keep our feet kind of rooted in science with our heads aware that it's possible that there's an infinite number of of possibilities of what goes on that extend beyond science. You know, personally, I'm open to believing a wide range of happenings. Yet a core reality is that everyone dies, and denying the reality of death isn't doing us any favors. In fact, it's cutting into the valuable time that we have while we're still alive. It impacts how we die and how much potential suffering gets brought into the end of life that is really so unnecessary. We don't have to think about it constantly, although there are some Buddhist teachings that say we should remember our own mortality five times a day. It's that whole idea of memento mori, which is remember you will die. And actually, yes, there's an app for that. It's called We Croak. It's (laughs) W-E-C-R-O-A-K. We have it in our show notes. And this app is happy to send you, free of charge, Five messages a day about mortality. It's there strictly to remind you that the end is near. Its message is accompanied by sometimes sober, sometimes uplifting sayings like the grave has no sunny corners or begin again the story of your life. So I signed up for this, Charlie, and it literally gives a push notification. It dings. And it says, you know, like, remember, you're going to die. And then when you click on it, it gives you a saying. And the idea is, is that five times a day you receive these messages and it focuses you. It reminds you that you don't have forever in this life uh, and to live your best life now. People have asked me how to get over their fear and anxiety about death. So let me tell you about that today. Fear of the unknown creates anxiety. Now, death cannot be unknown, really, until we actually do it. But that does not mean that we can't educate ourselves about what could happen during the processes of serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement, so that we face ours and our loved one's death with facts that can guide us. So women who are pregnant can buy a book that's called What to Expect When You're Expecting, right? And in that book, you get a month-by-month guide of what's going on with their body, the growth of the baby, how to prepare for the birth. Now, we can really do the same um, in the idea of do what to expect when you're dying, um, except that society really doesn't buy into that. It's considered um, rude or dark to talk about death. And uh, some people can get really upset and angry with you for talking about death. Um, you can just see sometimes some of the comments that people give me on on Facebook that, you know, why, why are you talking about death? Why? I don't want to see everyone dies on, on, on my feed. I, I'm, I'm here to live. I'm here to fight this cancer. I'm, I'm not here to think about death. Well, 
thinking about death does not mean that, you know, if you think about it, it's going to happen immediately. It's so that you can prepare for, for right. yeah. the inevitable. So <clears throat> this is within the framework of where the death positive movement came from. And the purpose of the death positive movement is to remove the stigma regarding talking about death so that people can get the information, options, rights, and choices about the subject. It's not about having positive feelings about the death of those we loved. You know, nobody's asking you to say, oh, you know, ding dong, my mom is dead. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> that's not the case. It's like when people die, we're sad and we feel that loss and, and we would prefer it don't happen, right? right. But we can accept death as a um, natural part of life. If we can have an honest conversations about death, we can live healthier lives in a healthier society. Now, the death positive movement has eight beliefs. So I just want to go over those with you. First is it's the first belief is that I believe that by hiding death and dying behind closed doors, we do more harm than good to our society. So if we don't talk about death, if we say, oh, they passed away, or they're gone, or somebody with a serious illness doesn't really have a serious illness, we are not helping have a open conversation about what's really going on. It puts death in the shadows. It puts illness in the shadows, and it leaves the people who are doing it alone because they don't want to bring up something that's going to be upsetting to other people. Where, you know, we talked about this when we had the program about just say death. You know, if, if we stop hiding behind other ways of characterizing death, then we can have a clear conversation. Yes. Second, I believe that the culture of silence around death should be broken through discussions, gatherings, art, innovation, and scholarship. Well, we certainly believe that because we produce this show every week and we give you honest discussions about what's really going to happen based on the science and based on ex you know experience of, of working in this area. We can bring that into our families. We can start using the word death. We can educate ourselves and the people within our families about dying and death, and again, bring it out of the shadows. I believe that talking about engaging with my inevitable, inevitable death is not morbid, but displays a natural curiosity about the human condition. You know, we're fascinated with watching, you know, animals give birth and, you know, birthing shows where people are giving birth and that, you know, the first cry of the baby. Right, we're fascinated right, by yeah. that. But we're very uncomfortable with that presence where that person takes that last breath. But I've been with so many people when they've died as, an, as a nurse, not, you know, as ending their lives, but just as a nurse. Right. And it is a, a, a precious time. It's, it's that, you know, that the coming in and the going out in birth and death are precious times. And we should, I don't think we should, you know, honor and exalt one side of it and hide the other side of it. 
The fourth belief is, I believe that the dead body is not dangerous, that everyone should be empowered, should they wish to be, to be involved in the care of their own dead. And I worked as a hospice nurse and pronounced somebody dead who died. I would say to the family members, do you want to help me wash them? Do you want to help me dress them? And it's sort of that last act of offering, of intimacy with that person's body. And some people say yes, and some people say no, but they should at least be asked. Yes. They should at least have the opportunity. Um, I believe that the laws, number five, is I believe that the laws that govern death, dying, and end-of-life care should ensure that a person's wishes are honored, regardless of sexual, gender, racial, or religious identity. Uh, You know, we have advanced directives. We have a way that people can say what it is that they want. Um, A lot of people don't fill them out. A lot of people don't tell people what they want. And also there are situations where they're not honored, where they're ignored because somebody in the family says, if you take her off that machine, if you do that, even though that's what she says she wants, I'm going to sue you. And so people... Healthcare practitioners will ignore the advance directive in lieu of somebody who is threatening to sue. Number six, I believe that my death should be handled in a way that does not do great harm to the environment. And we have done many shows on the different ways of um, dealing, for lack of a better term, with a, with a dead body. And there are ways that are environmentally friendly, and there are ways that are not. And go back to our shows and and listen and educate yourself about what is the carbon footprint, what is the effect on the environment for for the variety of different ways that we have. And the reality is, is that burying a body after it's been embalmed is really the worst thing for the environment that we can do. Uh... Seven, I believe that my family and friends should know my end-of-life wishes and that I should have the necessary paperwork to back up those wishes. And I always tell people, make like 10 copies <laughs> to 10 different people. Yeah. Because when the time comes, one of those 10 people will be able to put their hand on And you think, oh, well, that's overkill. No, it's not. I've been in those situations. It's like, you know, we need to see that advanced directive. And it's like, oh, God, what did I do with that? So... Make copies, you know. Kinkos would appreciate the business. And number eight, I believe that my open, honest advocacy around death can make a difference and can change the culture. And that's why we're here. We're here to change the culture of death and dying by educating you, the public, what your choices are, what the problems are, what can happen, and to have maybe you join in the death positive movement. So Chatsy was a part of this movement, and Charlie's going to tell you her story in a bit. She had the belief that death would be an exciting adventure and that she wanted to experience that without drugs, like natural childbirth. Now, when I had my first child, (laughs) she she was butt down and head up. And, um, And she wasn't going anywhere. She was sitting up and not where she needed to be. And they said, well, you're going to have to do a C-section. And I said, okay, I don't care. But my friends, people were like, oh, my God, are you disappointed that you don't get to have a natural childbirth? Are you upset? I'm thinking, do I want to push a 
baby out? Um, no, I am not upset. Um, my agenda was to have a healthy baby. And if that meant that they had to cut me open to do it, that was okay. So I'm in the birthing area and, you know, they, they uh, they do the C-section and this healthy, perfect little baby comes out and they gave me like a washcloth to wipe my mouth and I wiped my mouth and my lipstick was still on, you know, it was like came off on the washcloth. And then I hear this woman like in the next area screaming and I'm thinking, um, you know, this was far more humane <laughs> as far as I was concerned. <laughs> And my daughter, who's 26 now, had recently said to me, she says, were, were you upset that that I was breached and that you had to have a C-section? I said, no. I said, I was thrilled that I didn't have to, like, go through labor and do that. Like, you know, I really believe in better love through chem, better love, <laughs> better living through chemistry. Well, sometimes better love um, too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, chemistry can help that too. But my point being that I was Perfectly fine with the drugs and the anesthesia and the C-section. And there are some people who, I know one girl who, they told her that baby wasn't going to be able to come out of her. And she labored for like, I don't know, 15 hours. Until she finally said, okay, I believe you that this baby isn't going to be able to come out of me. And I'm like, I don't know, sorry, but how dumb is that? Like, if you're there to have a baby. And when you're dying, you're kind of there to die. And if you're in pain, take the medicine. You know, you, I, I would always tell my hospice patients, you don't get extra points for dying in pain. You just, you know, you just well don't. Well said, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but I don't believe that anybody's going to give you extra points for dying in pain. And it was interesting to read the stuff about Chatsy, who was like, adamant that she was going to, you know, fully experience death and and go in clear-headed and not take any medicine. And it's like, I was reading that and I was like, sister, you know, it's like the natural <laughs> childbirth. It's like, you do what you need to do, you know, you do what you need to do to get the baby out and you do what you need to do to have a good death. Go to the other yeah. Side. yeah. Yeah. And if you go in with this preconceived notion that I'm not taking any medicine, then, you know, like like the woman who labored for 15 hours and still didn't get the baby out, there's just no point to it. So these things don't always turn out as we plan, but they turn out the way that they need to. So talking about death is notoriously taboo. And what could be more tempting than to break a taboo? Come on. You're here. Be bad with us. Absolutely. Eat dessert first. Talk about death. <laughs> or Talk about death while eating dessert. There you are. Thank you. Yes. It's okay. We're saying it's okay. Join us and be bad if you feel that like it's being bad. But we think, and the research shows, and Buddhist history shows, and other religious beliefs shows that acknowledging death as part of life is a normal thing and that it gives an extra layer to your life when you realize that this is just going to be a part of it and I'm not here forever, so let me enjoy it to the extent that I can while I'm here. Charles? I got nothing to add, but that's 
that's perfect. You know, and to your point, what you're saying, it's a taboo subject. But that's really, that's, that's only what, in like the last hundred years or so? Because for thousands of years, it was, you know, you, you were born and you died. That was it. There, there were no uh, funeral parlors. Sometimes I mean, in the same field. Well, yeah, exactly. Actually, yes, exactly. I mean, for thousands of years. And really, just this yeah. whole industrial thing about, you know, dying and funerals and you need this, you need. No, that's, that is a recent invention over the tens of thousands of years of the existence of people. The, um, it's like Hallmark inventing Mother's Day they, or uh, Father's Day. Oh, perfect. It's a way to sell cards. There you are. Perfect. You yeah. know, and do you have to participate in that? No, you can make your own card yeah. and just be nice to your mom. <laughs> you don't have to go to Hallmark and spend $4 on a card. Yes. Exactly. You don't have to do it that way. So no more Hallmark. <laughs> make your own cards. Eat dessert, be bad. It's a plan. It's a good plan. <laughs> and with that, as, as Marianne, you know, mentioned uh, Shotzi, I'd like to tell you a story about Shotzi Weisberger, a nurse for 47 years who had also earned a certificate in the art of dying. She helped run a monthly discussion group on the subject in Brooklyn and another one in her small apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. She was part of the positive death movement, a loose umbrella of death cafes, academic programs, books, YouTube videos, and lectures aimed at dispelling fears and normalizing death. She spent years urging others to approach the process of dying with joy and wonder. She preached death without fear. As for herself, when her end would come, Ms. Weisberger was determined to face death without painkillers. She wanted to appreciate the experience of death. She wanted the full Monty. Then she got cancer. So the question became, could she practice what she preached? A few years earlier, rather than a funeral, she held a funeral for herself, where friends decorated a full-size biodegradable cardboard casket. They wrote messages. She wore a bright floral print blouse for the occasion. I really want to experience my dying, she said at the event. I don't want to die in a car crash or be unconscious. I want to be home. I want to be in my bed. I want to share the experience with anybody who's interested. Then, in October 2022, at age 92, Ms. Weisberger received the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. Untreatable. Her oncologist gave her a month, maybe two or three. As she was beaming. All her years of work were coming to fruition. Years before her diagnosis, Ms. Weisberger prepared the script for her last days. She had a burial plot, a funeral director, a shroud, and instructions for how she wanted her body to be handled after she died. A friend from the Art of Dying class promised to stay with her whenever the end approached. She tapped another friend to navigate the healthcare system. She had pre-selected certain people for certain roles and kept updating a list of her possessions, sticking labels on everything showing who should get what. She has spent years studying death as an abstraction and urged others to approach it with joy and wonder. But she was now in increasing pain and weakened from sleepless nights. A friend from an advocacy group came to massage her back and feet. 
All her life, she had recoiled from physical intimacy, citing trauma in her childhood. But during her friend's massage, she let down her guard. For the first time, I allowed myself to be open to the intimacy, she said. It was probably the most remarkable experience I've ever had. I allowed myself to believe that it was true when when people told me they loved me. Prior to that, it was just empty words. But now I'm open to believing it. For the first time, I'm able to give love. I never could do either of those. Her body was deteriorating faster than she had expected. She could not move her legs to shift from bed to chair, and she couldn't remain in either position for long without extreme pain. She ate little, chocolate pudding, yogurt, and applesauce. Disappointed at how fast her body was deteriorating, she kept reminding herself that she couldn't control it and would just have to deal with it. She wore a fentanyl patch and had a morphine elixir in case the pain got too severe, but so far she was not using it. She was in good spirits. I'm not experiencing fear currently, she said. Certainly it might happen. I think it probably will happen. I'm hoping I can transcend that. I'm very disappointed in the limited time I may have. Amy Cunningham, her funeral director, visited. She noted Miss Weisberger's fastidious planning. A box along one wall, packed for the moment of death, was clearly labeled Shroud, Gown, Candles, with the names of the four women she assigned to wash and handle her body. She left thinking it would be a January death. Three days later, Ms. Weisberger told her friends and principal caretaker, Gina, that she did not want any more visitors. She asked for the lights to be off. Whatever momentum had gotten her this far had given way to extreme pain. Facing death without painkillers was the first illusion she had to give up. She increased her pain medication. She was starting to go inward and having a much harder time in her body, Gina said. She said, I'm done with this. I just want to be done. Gina responded, you can't be done until you're done. This was lighthearted and fun, but I also think it shocked her. She added, there was a point with the pancreatic cancer where it's winning. That was the hardest working death I had ever seen. She was working at getting out of her body. And at 12.40 a.m. on December 1st, her work was over. Was it a good death? It was not the death Shotzi wanted, which was to show what death without fear looks like. Without drugs, expiring peacefully with her friends around her, sharing her last thoughts. At the end of it all, her epiphany was how painful her death was, how essential drugs really were. She also needed more help from more people than she had imagined. Death may be transcendent, but dying was complicated. What Shotzi did was weave community around her, said Claire Raisin, one of the friends assigned to care for her body. Maybe that was the perfect preparation, because we could do it. Was it stressful? Was it a burden? Oh, absolutely. But we did it. And it was more support than most people could muster, and more than Ms. Weisberger's group could have provided for long. Her body left the apartment around 5 a.m. on December 1st, bathed and oiled by her close friends. Gina Colombato chose the exit music. At full volume, she blasted Frank Sinatra's 
my way. So with that, please stay tuned for the continuing saga of Everyone Dies, and thank you for listening. This is Charlie Navarrete, and from Hunter S. Thompson, journalist and author who founded the Gonzo Journalism Movement, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. And I'm Marianne Matzo, and we'll see you next week. Remember, every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.